there, everybody. You're listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast. My name is Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And this is where we take a look at graphic novels and trade collections of comic book stories featuring female protagonists and get a bit of a doozy this time around. Uh, This is one that's been on the docket, I think, almost since inception of the podcast, but we've been putting off for, well, mainly because there's just a lot to unpack (laughs) with this. Um, So we will be taking a look at Give Me Liberty, An American Dream by Frank Miller. Now, since I knew going in there was going to be a lot to unpack about this, I actually gave this to you in anticipation of you, you know, taking time during your vacation to read it, uh, which you didn't do. No, well, to be fair, it was partway through my vacation already, and I already had, like, a good book, which this (laughs) was not, so... Subtle, subtle. (laughs) So, um... Yeah, I, I took my time after my vacation, and I don't really regret that at all, so. <laughs> so, what this is, is that, well, first, I, feel, I actually feel like I need to lead with the fact that, um, you know, written by Frank Miller, illustrated by Dave Gibbons of Watchmen fame, and originally published in 1990. And I feel the need to bring up when it was published right at the front end, because I feel like the closest it, you could ever get to judging this thing fairly is to try and put it in the context of when it came out. Which, I mean, I think our ability to do that is going to be slightly limited because we would have been about eight at the time. And, you know, we're obviously looking back on it. But this is, this is a satirical book satirizing American, largely internal politics and... The the combined issue of stuff that's gone on with Frank Miller since then, and then how much some of the stuff that w- seemed wildly satirical in 1990 <laughs> seems a lot more pointedly that's almost reality in yeah. 2021. Judging it, you know, post-Trump and having lived through those four years, I was like, wait, is this satire? Like, is this actually what... It, it was satire when it was written. So that's, yeah. that's kind of the thing I feel the need to underline because it's the closest I'm going to get to being fair to it. Yeah. So now, uh, despite broadly being a fairly sweeping satirical work, the reason it qualifies for our remit is the primary character that most of the events we see circles around or at least pulls her in for them is Martha Washington. She is a young black woman. She's actually 16 for the majority of this. Um, She grew up in a very nasty project called Caprini Green, which I don't know if it's still around, but it it was a real project in Chicago. Oh, I did not realize that. Yeah, Caprini Green is a real place and a fairly notorious one. Again, even this has it slightly exaggerated because it moves (laughs) up the... It like because it starts in ninety five when she's born. Yeah, so it starts five years into the future. So it's it's extrapolating like how much worse could it get versus what it already was, which wasn't good. Mm-hmm. So from there, we are dealing with 
her personal journey in terms of the stuff she went through when she was growing up, joining uh, what's known as the PAX, which is basically the military, a very all-purpose military force for the United States. Um, from the time she's born to fairly well into her teens, there is only one president, that is President Rexall. Oh, yeah. um, there do not appear to be term limits anymore, and he is... Rexall is pretty firmly uh, a reflection of Reagan in terms of what I could parse about his politics mm -hmm. and what he was doing and his mentality. Now, he, he gets sent into a coma uh, on an assassination attempt, and, and a whole bunch of his cabinet dies, and the only person of standing who then takes over... Um, Secretary of Ag Agriculture? Acting Secretary of Agriculture. Yeah. Uh, Nissen, who has a lot of really sweeping ideas to take things in a different direction, but the job wears him down badly and quickly, and he kind of devolves into an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. So we're following Martha as she is, as she uh, does things like is deployed to the Amazon rainforest to fight the destruction of the forest by beef conglomerates. Uh, the main one being Fat Boy, which basically is a burger chain. So this is a burger chain with an, with an art, with a personal army. I feel like it's supposed to be a take on like maybe Big Boy or something. I mean the like the the, the, the name is yeah. Yeah, I feel like that isn't that what they have because it's this like character that's got a burger in its hand with like with with the quaff and yeah. yeah yeah like visually that's what it is but like it that's sort of what I mean by the the level of satire that we're working with they're fighting to protect the rainforest from a fast food conglomerate with its own personal army and giant robot mechs in the shape of their mascot. And, like, there are um, people in the cabinet, like, there's a general sphincter or something like that, like, and there's a Colonel Placebo. Like, it, it, it's not gentle and it's not subtle. It's not very subtle at all. Um, Martha keeps um, coming on the radar and bumping up against her immediate commanding officer, a guy by the name of Moretti, who is absolute scum, mm -hmm. does his best to, well, several things, kill her, and when that fails, just keep her under his command and under his boot and keep her from progressing up the ranks as best as possible, um, frequently reminding her that if she speaks out against him, no one's going to believe her, because she caught him actually betraying the military fairly early into both their careers. So Moretti basically very um, nastily kills his way up the ladder and keeps putting Martha into deliberately into more and more dangerous situations, which she does manage to survive. Uh, we eventually have uh, an Apache character who gets brought in. There's a thing with these psychic children, question mark, because the character in question doesn't appear to really age. From when we see her originally to later, that's something that Martha encounters in her youth, and then they kind of bond. It's a little weird. <laughs> there's there's a, a lot little, of weird. A little weird is a, is a good understatement for this yeah. Whole there's book. I am brushing over a lot, but like there's there's a lot of weird, and ultimately when Moretti takes out President Nissen and basically stages a military coup, 
the entire country pretty much immediately falls apart with huge blocks of it declaring independence from each other. Mm-hmm. And everything just kind of falls into an absolute mess. And ultimately where it ends is um, President Rexall's brain has been <laughs> removed from his body, recuperated as just the brain. So his brain in a little robot body reassumes the presidency. Mm-hmm. And um, Martha makes sure that Moretti is arrested and watches him hang himself in his cell before he can be executed. So that's where Such that is. Such a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't really go blow for blow because it's long and there's a lot. and There's a lot of like side groups and armies and characters yeah. that are satirized, but also like... Okay, so what, let's, let's try and start as broad as we can. Uh, I never got a good impression from you and your thoughts on this, broadly speaking. Oh, it was a mess. Like, it was a, it was really messy. I couldn't, like, I, I get it as satire, but it's like, I don't know what he was going for most of the time. I mean, it was very, again, like, not great depictions of women in terms of sex. Like, we've got... Naked mom in the very first pages. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, the racial depictions are not great either, even though she is the main character. Um, you know, it is. It, it's, it's, it smells of, I mean, without getting into Frank Miller's personal politics, because while it's pretty clear where he stands on a lot of stuff now, it's a bit harder to reverse engineer his actual stance back around this time, because he seemed to be in some sort of weird flux where I think he just thought everything sucked. Um, but, so I'm not going to try and psychoanalyze the man. Yeah. But the whole thing does have the whiff of white man trying to satirize issues that maybe he's not the best equipped mm, yeah. to be satirizing. I think that's pretty safe to say. Um it's the whole, I mean, it's a lot of trauma and a lot of grittiness packed into one, on one character. And I mean, I, it's just too much in general for a plot of just, like, he tried to cram a lot. And even though it's not a short book, it's like, pick something or try to, like, develop your characters a little more, like... It's just messy. Yeah, the thing is, Martha, All around. Martha is nominally the main character, but honestly, I I don't know page count wise. It might not be the case, but I feel like we, if we don't spend more time with, we get a better understanding of characters like Moretti and Nissen than yeah. we do of Martha, which is we understand their motivation better. Yeah, we don't really understand hers, and I know it changes, and that she gets brainwashed and everything but it's just i mean there's a there's a couple of things kneecapping the satire you know beyond just the the world has caught up to satire um but like when you when you try and do something like satirically um fetishize the female body Mm -hmm. in a medium like comic books Mm -hmm. it's actually not all that different from standard operating procedure (laughs) I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's a little bit higher. It, it's it's a it, the only way in which it's cranked up here, like the ways in which it it 
And it clearly is aiming for satire, but the way in which it tries to satirize the depiction of women mm -hmm. in like propagandist media and all the rest of it, the only thing that makes it more severe than what was just standard for comics at the time is the fact that they're actually naked instead of have ribbons across their nethers. Like, yeah. that's really the only difference. But otherwise, like, no, that's pretty much what was going on in comics already. So, I, th I feel like some of the things he was trying to satirize were already at satirical levels, or what should have been satirical yeah. levels in the medium he was working in in the first place. And, I don't know. Yeah, and then, and then I think the depiction even of the green, too. Like, yeah. that was, like... Especially in the 90s, it was, and really until recently, the depiction of any, like, urban area or anything like that was just Be overly gritty. Yeah. I mean, and this is, again, notched up and pretty, like, you know, taken to the extreme. But still, it was already pretty ridiculous. So. Yeah. But, like... Some there's some of the things that I can look at and like I can see where that was well meaning, but you didn't think it through. So like for instance, and then there's stuff that I don't think he even paused for a second to think about. I'll get to that in a second. Um, but he um, so like there's a couple of panels where Martha is like depicted as like sort of a jaguar, and the Apache character is depicted as an eagle, and I I think it's trying to be a bit more empowering it's actually done visually uh, in an interesting way in terms of how the panels flow from that image to you know what's going on in reality and like when she lunges at moretti towards the very end it's it's initially depicted as like the jaguar lunging at a hunter so like i get what he was going for but to take a step back the only characters that you choose to depict in animalistic terms are a black woman and an indigenous man so yeah, non-white people not age well yeah. at all. <laughs> no, no matter how empowering you think the animals you chose are, you the only people that you equated with animals were non-white people. Yeah. So, ah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of ah. <laughs> yeah, well, and then there's the stuff that like, did you think about this at all? Which is stuff like the Aryan thrust. Oh my God. So, and like, and again, this is so cranked up, it is clearly meant to be satire, but, but, so there is a white supremacist Nazi group of gay men. And again, it, it obviously like, it's almost like he tried to do a Mad Lib of what are things that don't go together, but... The problem is, is like, these are the only gay men depicted in the book. Mm -hmm. And so even if you claim it's clearly a joke, you didn't counter-program it. And within the world of the story you've presented, 100% of the, <laughs> of the, <laughs> of the gay men are Nazis. Mm -hmm. So, and that's kind of screwed up. Or there's the, uh, I can't even remember what it's called now, but like, there's this, feminist clone blonde women essentially well, well I, there's two layers to this there's all the <laughs> there's all the cloned blondes that work for the surgeon general right that's what it was there's so much going on it just kind of like meshes into my head as it a does big kind mess of, yeah 
But yeah, so there's there's the there's all the clone blondes. They work for the Surgeon General. The fembots. Essentially. Yeah, they might as well be. Um, but then there is I I want to find it because it's it's bugging me now. There is um, the when when the whole country breaks off into um, all these splinter nations. There's the first sex confederacy. Ah uh, yes, down in the southeast or whatever. Yeah, down in the southeast. So th- this is a. Uh, this is a uh, feminist-dominated nation. So, like, the only depictions of women we have, we have Martha. Okay. But, like, she's a little bit hard to parse sometimes. And she's obviously, she has a military mindset and she's trying to get that done. And so, in many ways, even though she knows she's being sent to her death on a lot of these missions, she is the good soldier mm-hmm. who follows her orders. Mm-hmm. And then we have a buttload of cloned blondes. <laughs> and then and then we and then we have the Confederate feminists. So And we have like I think Rexall's widow wife. His at the wife end. who gets shot in the head for no particular reason. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Uh yeah. Here's the thing. Like and again, I don't think satire is always hilarious or funny, but I feel like my understanding of satire is there should be you should find some humor in it sometimes i did not find any in this i mean i whether or not satire needs to be funny not like funny haha but like you know what i mean i i feel like that's where maybe reality catching up to the to the absurdity kind of hurts it whereas Mm. like i i feel like to my memory because like i read this ages and ages ago Mm -hmm. not when it first came out but, like, probably when I was 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And I remember finding some of it amusing, which part of that would have been, you know, my just my mental age at the time. Mm-hmm. But I, I think if there was amusement, mm-hmm. like, wow, isn't this ridiculous? That's the kind of thing that time... That's the reaction that time has not been kind to. Yeah. It's, it it has not aged well. Not that I think it was ever really a good thing, but. <laughs> That's, yeah, I it, mean. To it a, has just gotten worse, I think, with time. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where I can, <clears throat> admire is the wrong word. I can, I, I can all. <laughs> You're can, on your own there. <laughs> I'm not going to say I can admire the work, but I can almost ad- admire the, um, the nerve and the attempt from Miller. The problem is Miller is a is absolutely the wrong person to be trying to tell this story. And it it like the way that this almost feels like it's building off the satirical elements of The Dark Knight Returns, and it's just all of that but more. It feels very much like you didn't you didn't talk to anybody about this. You just you just did it. And you were not the if anyone was gonna try and do this it probably shouldn't have been you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we haven't said anything about the art other than the fact that, you know, that some gratuitous this, that, and the other. Do we have any thoughts about the art? Um, it's not, it's a little overemphasized sometimes on facial expressions, I think. And... I don't really have much to say about the art, to be perfectly honest. It's I mean, not it's bad. It, it's not. It's Dave Gibbons, and Dave Gibbons is a solid person to do your stuff. So, I mean, 
Yeah. I just maybe not sign up to do Frank Miller stuff again. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone's really working with him. Well, DC still hires him intermittently. I wish they'd stop. But he he's had to go self-published for a lot of his stuff lately with good reason because it's like you think this is misguided oh god <laughs> yeah let's let's not try anything recent of well, i don't think any i'm not sure anything else he's written other than the follow-up because there are actually more martha washington stories uh-huh i don't think anything other than that that he's written would ever qualify to fit our remit yeah so i i think this might fingers crossed be the only time we have to <laughs> we have to parse frank miller yeah okay yeah i mean Fra is wait is he the one behind like sin city and stuff too? sin city's him yeah okay but that's kind of a anthology and there's a lot of both male and female characters yeah i mean like if we picked a specific issue of sin city that would qualify but like the collections it would be like maybe one out of four would have a female protagonist yeah. So I don't think any of those would qualify. Yeah, I didn't love the movie, so we don't really need to revisit Sin City or him again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Miller... Here's the thing. Miller's one of those people who... If he, I'm not going to say he's not good at anything, or at least used to be good at anything, but it's a pretty narrow field at what he was good at. It's like... Uh, I'm hoping I can explain this in a way that will translate to listeners, because I think you'll get it in terms of the shorthand. I think of him a little bit like Christopher Nolan. Mm -hmm. Like when he sticks to his guns and what he's actually good at, which is generally men who are so manly to the point that it in and of itself, it's already satire before he starts. Mm -hmm. He actually can do that, or at least at some point in the past, could do that pretty well. It's actually why he was a pretty good fit for Batman for a while. But stepping outside of that, his limitations become very clear and i kind of i i can't help but think of how you tend to think of nolan anytime he has a female character <laughs> oh no in basically anything other than inception <laughs> and you only gave a pass to elliot page's character on that not uh, uh i can't even remember uh no i can't marianne cotillard uh um yes marianne yeah. cotillard cotillard yes, yes sorry i am not good at pronouncing french but yeah so there's a there's an odd comparison that hopefully makes sense for people, or they're just gonna come at me and say I uh, I understand neither Frank Miller nor. At least I like <laughs> Nolan. Nolan's work and much more than Miller's. I don't think he has. Obviously, Nolan doesn't have great depictions of women in general, and often they die, um, or like are some kind of femme fatale. Um, but the ideas behind them are. Brilliant sometimes and very interesting. Miller, not so much. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to do something um, lighter next time, I think. Yes, we do know what we're doing, right? We're doing Scarlet. We're, we're going to do, do a Scarlet Witch. Where Scarlet Witch, if, yeah. if we were smart, we would have done it for this month and cashed in on WandaVision. But we're not that, uh, we don't pay that close attention to the calendar, so we won't. But uh, before... We sign off, we have listener feedback, so we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Between the golden age of Atlantis and the rise of recorded history, there were ages undreamed of. 
Hither came heroes and villains possessing swords and magic, whose deeds became tales and legends. I have come to relate these sagas. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Days of High Adventure, a new podcast discussing a variety of comics that fall into the fantasy or sword and sorcery genre. Available on most podcast services and Anchor FM. Okay, folks, we're back, and we have a number of comments on the last one, which, as a reminder, was us taking a look at She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, Legend of the Fire Princess. So the first comment is from Brian Linton. It looks like I'll have to introduce my daughter to the Netflix series before I introduce her to this graphic novel. Unfortunately, the last time we were able to watch Netflix, she decided to binge watch Pokemon rather than She-Ra. I guess I can't complain since I'm also the one who introduced her to Pikachu and company. Thanks for another great episode. And then... um, he followed up with a comment, P.S. When my da- daughter wasn't watching Pokemon, I was able to catch up on the first two seasons of She-Ra. So, m- so many quirky characters to fall in love with. Yay, another She-Ra fan. As many converts as we can get. I mean, no shame on Pokemon. My my kid, she's eased off lately. She's gotten into dragons, but she was she was pretty into it for a while. They're pretty cute. I, I have, yeah. What I know of Pokemon, I have a lot of students that are super fans. So yeah, they're pretty cute. Um, and then um, we had another comment from Mur Nipe. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce her last name. I'm sorry. Um, maybe if you introduce her to the novel first, you will manage to convince her to quit binging Pokemon next time you have Netflix. Give it a try. I mean, our recommendation was it's probably best to get into that if you already know the show. But if you're having trouble getting her to give the show a shot and you're like, you're like, hey, you should read something. Why not read this? I mean, that's that's a shot, I suppose. There's also little like novelization versions that um, I have at my library that a couple of my kids who are into the show already are like, oh my gosh, it's a Pokemon. It's a, no. So now I'm saying Pokemon. Oh my gosh, it's a She-Ra novel. And so they're very excited. Um, so there are books out there for your She-Ra fans, so that's the main thing we wanted to say. Yep. Next up, we had a couple of comments from Tim Price. His first one, uh, saying that we made it sound so good that he went to Comixology to get it. And then he followed up saying that that was quite fun. I totally agree. This was like transcribing an episode as a graphic novel. It captures the feel, the characters, and the storyline very well. Now, my only nitpick is there's a couple of places where the word balloon tails go to the wrong character. Uh, which I hadn't noticed, but I'll take his word for it. Mm-hmm. But that's being very nitpicky, and the only clue that this might have been a tad rushed, like Nathaniel notes about most cash grab tie-ins like this, but not enough of a problem to take away my enjoyment. You know what's funny? I suspect the reason that I, I can't speak, I won't speak for you, but why I didn't catch that is because I was hearing the voices of the characters so clearly, <laughs> my brain probably just automatically assigned. Well, this sounds like so-and-so, and this yeah. sounds like so-and-so, yeah. Yeah. It uh, does my heart good to see them give Catra and Scorpio so many pa- as many pages as they did without it being about the plan or being evil, which is the case in normal shows, not She-Ra. 
Their stories are just as interesting and fun as the heroes and princesses. Thank you very much for the rec- for this recommendation, my punchers. That reminds me that one of my favorite episodes was about the like trio of Kyle and Rogelio and Lonnie. Lonnie. Yeah. yeah, that was cute to finally get some insight to them. They they do do a good jo- job of of um, covering the. So, uh, and we also had a comment from uh, Lizanne Oswald, who does capitulate on what uh, she feels are a few good points of the... Uh, Bo's dads! Bo's dads being one of them, <laughs> of the uh, Netflix DreamWorks she wrote a show, but uh, largely um, sort of reiterates some of her issues with it and brings up a few new ones. So anyone interested in a breakdown on those, that is on the site, fireandwaterpodcast.com. And, uh, of course, we'd love to hear your comments on this episode as well. So I think that'll wrap it up. Yeah. As we said, it'll be um, Scarlet Witch next time around. Fairly slim volume, which that'll I think we deserve that break, to be yes. perfectly yes. honest. after tackling Frank Miller, I yeah. should say so. Yeah. So uh, we'll see you in a month, folks. Bye. Bye. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and is presented on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Comments can be left on fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can support the network by finding us on Patreon. This particular show was supported by Carolyn and Brian Linton. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom, and our theme music is by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Bye.